Usually, when you do a sermon, you pick, you know, 10 verses, maybe 20 verses, and you just, you do that. Um, If we were to read our entire reading this morning, we'd probably run out of time before we even came to the end of the reading. Because we're looking from about Genesis chapter 37, over here, way over there, to Genesis chapter 50. So we're not going to read all of that, we're going to read some of it, and we'll throw some verses up on the screen from the rest of it, but um, I'd actually recommend going home and reading it, or uh, go, go on the internet, go to Bible Gateway and push play on the audio Bible there uh, while you're making lunch, uh, and have a listen to the story of Israel going to Egypt. But before we do that, let's just pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you do love us and that you are good to us. Sometimes we don't see that and we close our eyes to that and we open them to other things, God, and every time those other things are empty cisterns, empty wells that leave us dry. But you are gracious to us, God, and you always reach for us and your plans can never fail. Help us remember that and help us look to you Father, please speak life into my life from this passage and these words today and speak life into our lives. Lord, it's not what I'm going to say, it's what you're going to do today that matters. Father, please move by your Spirit. Lord, together we, we throw open the doors of our lives and we say, take over, take the wheel, redecorate change us. Amen. So we'll start, uh, we'll just read a chapter to start. If you've got your Bibles there, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, and we'll read through this, this whole chapter together. Uh, so Jacob, uh, aka Israel, um, settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers. We'll explain that in a minute. Um, uh, The sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. That's quite cool names, aren't they? Uh, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing, which gives us a clue about Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Can I just... Just pause there, and just if you've got kids, can you put your hands up? Okay, Phil, who's your favourite child? I'm the ones that aren't with me at the time. <laughs> who's your favourite kid, Eddie? I hope your kids are listening in on this. <laughs> I'm not asking you. No, don't give me an answer. Isn't this terrible? Can you imagine. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. 
we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, Ha! So you think you'll be our king, do you? You actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. This guy's as dense as a brick. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon afterward, uh, after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. While, when they'd been gone for some while, uh, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. And then come back and bring me a report. And we learn something about Joseph. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled from Shechem to their home, from their home in the valley of Hebron. And when he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? Well, yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but uh, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. And when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they were filled with joy and ran to meet him with arms open. No, they recognized him from a distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then, then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard about this, about their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's, let's not kill him, he said. Nice guy. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty pit and, uh, here in the wilderness, and there he'll die, and uh, we won't have laid a hand on him. Now, Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father, um, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. And then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Uh, and then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan coming towards them. It was a, a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Now Judah said to his brothers, remember Judah, the line of Judah, the one through whom Jesus will be born, this is going to be a good bloke. I like him. He says to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's just sell him to these Ishmaelites traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh. And, oh, it's a nice guy. This is our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. <laughs> and his brothers agreed. By the way, just because it happens in Scripture doesn't mean it's a positive example. If you've got brothers or sisters, you're not allowed to sell them. <laughs> so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. 
Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. And when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. And, and he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy's gone! Oh, what, what, what will I do now? And then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. And they, they sent the beautiful robe to his father with the message, Look at what we found. Gosh, we're not sure, but doesn't this belong to your son? And their father recognized it immediately. Yet, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. And he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. And then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Joseph is the oldest son of Jacob's favorite wife. Again, because it's in Scripture doesn't mean you have to copy it. Jacob had four wives. Well, two wives and two kind of concubine wives, thingy-majiggy-bobs. It's confusing. Read Genesis. Um, he had gone, he had a big fight with his brother because he'd stolen his brother's, birth, his brother's inheritance, uh, had to run away, met Rachel, uh, Joseph's mom, fall, fallen in love with her, uh, said to her dad, I want to marry your daughter. The dad said, well, you're going to have to pay me. You know, it's expensive, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, Joseph said, uh, sorry, Jacob said, yep, that's fine. I'll work seven years for you. For seven years he works and works, and then he gets married, and um, I don't know. As I think I said in the news flash, either he had terrible vision or else there was very good wine at that wedding party because somehow he managed to marry the wrong woman and only realized the next morning. Mm, very odd. He's not the nicest of blokes, this Jacob. But he works another seven years and, and eventually marries Rachel as well, the younger, the younger sister. So he's married to Leah and Rachel and there's all sorts of competition and, and Leah keeps having kids and Rachel can't have kids and then there's, they get him to marry their servants and it's, wow, it's messed up family, this. And eventually Rachel has a child, has a boy. And Joseph is born and... And Jacob is just like besotted with him. I mean, he, he, it says, yeah, he loved him so much more because he was a child of his old age, but he was also the child of Rachel. And then a little while later, Rachel, the favorite wife, the one that he actually loves, um, gives birth to another son, Benjamin, and dies in the process. And dad dies a little bit at that point as well. Can you just imagine being in that family, knowing that your dad looks at you as... I wish you weren't around. Second best. Maybe not I wish you weren't around, but... <sighs> yes. <sighs> Jacob and his sons were of Abraham's line. Remember, Abraham is the one who God said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. Abraham is the one through whom God said, I'm going to do something about humanity's rebellion. I'm going bring uh, my rescuer who's going to bless the world by showing them who I am and, and giving them a chance to come back to me. Abraham's line is the line of Jesus. This is Jacob's line. This is the line of all of these brothers. 
Uh, we, we meet them here at the beginning of chapter 37. They're living in the promised land. Uh, part of the promise to Abraham was that he would bring them into this land um, where Jesus would come. And it's not like they're possessing the land. They're just living there as strangers. If anything, they are being seduced to live like the Canaanites, like the Amorites, like the people of the land who were there. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 38 tells the story of Judah, and it's, it's a rather interesting story. Go home and read it. Uh, not suitable for the family table. Um, but you hear of Judah marrying a Canaanite, and it's all sorts of family issues happening there. And you look at this and you go, is this really the family that God has chosen to work through? But our arc today in the story is taking us from, from where they are to God's arranging them into Egypt. Because God's plan is that when the sin of the Amorites, when the sin of the people in the land is enough, he will bring his people out of Egypt, show them that he is God, and give them the land. Ultimately, that in that land he would raise up Jesus, who would die for the world, die for us. And this month we're looking at grace, and one of the things that we need to know about grace is that it can be offensive to us. Genesis chapter 37 verse 2 tells us that the 17-year-old Joseph often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, but perhaps he worked for them in a sort of, I'm in charge managerial sort of way. Uh, Verse 2 says he used to give his dad reports on how bad his brothers were doing. Uh, And and his dad, we're told, gave him this special coat. Now, if you're of a certain age, you'll think musicals and multicolored, technicolored dream coats. Uh, Most people think it's, it's a kind of special coat that symbolizes status. Maybe it's a hint, his very coat, that his job is not labor, but management. Now again, put yourself in that family. Dad doesn't like us as much as he likes that young whippersnapper who keeps having dreams. Uh, by this stage, we are in our 30s, maybe even 40s, 50s, and this 17-year-old with his fancy schmancy white-colored coat is coming along and telling us what to do, and you can see why they loved their half-brother so very much. In fact, if you look down to verse 14, we see a little bit more about Joseph. Um, Go and see how your brothers and their flocks are doing, says Dad. Don't just go, come back and give me a report on them. I wonder if that wasn't his job to, you know, look after these worthless brothers of yours so that we can keep them in line because, you know, this is our family, Joseph. Maybe I'm doing a disservice to Jacob there, but it certainly looks like he's being sent to spy on them. I mean, his brothers weren't young and inexperienced. It's like you've worked in your job for years and years and years and they hire a first-year uni student to come and be your supervisor. And then Joseph has his dreams of them bowing down to him. Verse 8, do you really think that you 
are going to have us bowing down to you? Do you really think that you're going to be king? And they hated him, not just because of his dreams, but because of how he talked about them. I suspect that Joseph, being a mature 17-year-old like you and I all were, would have spoken about these dreams as a supercilious brat. The very fact that he has a second dream and, and knows how their first reaction was and he goes and tells them, tells you a little bit about Joseph, doesn't it? Sometimes grace can be offensive to us. Because you see, God was going to use Joseph to rescue Israel, to take them into Egypt, to bring them through a horrible famine and ultimately to put them in a place where they could prosper and grow in readiness for taking the land. But it was offensive to his brothers that God would use him. Why does the one who already gets special treatment get this grace from God? Well, God didn't choose him because he deserved it. I wonder perhaps whether God didn't choose the most despised of the brothers to show off his power. To show that his grace can operate despite betrayal, despite slavery, despite jail, despite the worst that you can throw at someone, God's grace can still rule. I wonder whether God chose to use the hated brother to rescue them, to show them something about grace. Sometimes we look at life and we've got this this almost calmer approach to it. You know, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Um, There's a... An incident in Jesus' life, John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. Jesus, we know that's how it works. It wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus, bad things happen to bad people, so who was the bad person here? Wrong question. The point, says Jesus, is that God's power can be shown. Grace doesn't always shield us from the difficulties of life. That God's with us doesn't always mean that life's going to be easy. I mean, God was with Joseph. We got those dreams, God speaking to him what he was going to do. And, and if you read through the next few chapters, you'll see that this is one of the repeated refrains time and again. Just... Have a look at some of these. Uh, Genesis 39, 3 to 6. 
Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he made Joseph his personal attendant. This is his boss, uh, uh, the slave master. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph, very handsome and well-built young man, which causes him some troubles in that chapter as well. But the point there is God is with Joseph. And so his slave master is nice to him. But he's still a slave. Read on a little bit later. Tell you the story. He was a handsome young bloke. His master's wife had an eye for the handsome young bloke and caused all sorts of trouble. Read the chapter. Um, Pretended that he was trying to rape her and had him thrown in jail. I suspect Potiphar knew that his wife was a floozy, which is why Joseph didn't die, but he was thrown into jail. But have a listen to what happens in jail. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. God is clearly with Joseph. Even in dark times, God loves Joseph and uses him to bless others, a slave master and a prison warden. Woohoo! And yet God's grace in Joseph's life didn't mean that he avoided all these troubles. If anything, God so arranges this that things happen to Joseph. He gets to to Shechem and says, oh, my brothers aren't here, and God makes sure that there's a bloke wandering around who happens to know that they've gone to Dothan. That's a weird little bit there, isn't there? Genesis 37, oh, my brothers aren't here. Oh, there just happens to be a bloke who says, go over there. It's not essential to the story. I think we're meant to look at that and go, uh, someone is coordinating things here. God could have made sure that he didn't run into someone who knew where they were, but God allowed that to happen. Despite what his brothers were going to do to him. Because although his brothers intended to harm him, God intended it all for good. As Joseph says, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You know, God's grace and presence in our life doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've had to come to grips with this. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to normal people like you and I. We might want to ask where God is in all of this, why God didn't do something. In the same note, that man in John chapter 9 where Jesus speaks and says, you know, it was so that God's glory could be displayed. Why didn't God do something years before? Why didn't God stop all the horrors from happening? 
Why didn't God just heal the man? Why doesn't God do that for us today? He sometimes does. Sometimes he shields us from the horrors of life. But sometimes he doesn't. And, and we can't say that God wasn't there. He, he was there. He is there. But his grace had bigger plans. God was interested in showing his love, might, and power for everyone to see. God wasn't just thinking about what the impact on all of this would have on Joseph, but what the impact all of this would have on Israel and ultimately on the whole world and ultimately on us. We see through a glass darkly. God sees the whole picture. And don't think that God therefore makes bad things happen to us. Or that God sits in heaven going, good, good, I've caused evil to happen there. Um, I know I'm, I've, I've made Eddie lose his job and I've made sure he's not going to have one for another five years and that's a good thing and I'm happy about that. that. That's not God. God doesn't, and it's not prophecy either, Eddie. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> God doesn't cause evil to occur. God cannot cause evil because God is perfectly good. God doesn't enjoy allowing disaster into our life. And I can look across this church here and I can see different people who have had or are having disasters in their lives right now. But God does sometimes permit them. It wasn't easy for Joseph being in jail. And I'm sure he wasn't singing I'm H-A-P-P-Y as his brothers tore off his robe and threw him into the pit. Or as he was dragged behind the camels or as he was sold at in Egypt or as he was thrown in jail. But even there, God was with him. Grace doesn't always operate in the way that we think it should operate. Um, for example, take, take temptation. Anybody here struggle with temptation? Put your hand up. Okay, anyone tempted to lie about this? <laughs> God often doesn't take temptations away. But he does give us more grace to deal with them. He says, I'm going to be here with you when you're tempted. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'll just read it for you. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide an escape so that you can stand up under it. God's escape doesn't mean that you avoid temptation. It means that you can stand under it. Sometimes when God lets 
evil things happen to us, he doesn't snatch us away, but he helps us to stand up under it. When Jesus was going to the cross, he prayed and he said, Father, I I don't want you to take them out of the world. In, In essence, what Jesus said there in John is I want you to be with them in this world. Because things are going to get tough. Joseph knew about that. You see, grace isn't always what we would call fair. Genesis 45.7 says, Joseph speaking to his brothers, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. God took the evil of his brothers, and it's a great story. Seriously, go and listen to it or read it. God took the evil of his brothers and used their evil to shower them with grace. Joseph realized through, what, 22 years that even at our worst, we can't stop God's grace to us. The brothers did not deserve to be saved. When they came before Joseph, who at this stage is in charge of all of the reserves of grain in Egypt, there's a massive famine, two years already uh, throughout that region, another five years of famine are going to happen. Joseph could have looked at them and said, yeah, payback time. Murderers, in essence, in, in their hearts at least, liars, I mean, technically not murderers, but hard men. But God had a plan to bless us through these people and he would do so and they needed to learn and that we need to learn that grace doesn't depend on what we have earned for ourselves. It's a hard lesson to learn. We tend to expect what we think we've deserved. And and, and if forced into a corner... We all have guilty things with which our minds can be occupied. You know, Genesis chapter 42, uh, the first trip that the brothers take from, from Canaan into Egypt to buy some grain. Seriously, listen to it, read it. It's a great story. Uh, they go there, they get the grain. Joseph is all wah, 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 testing them. One of their brothers has to stay there in jail. They take the grain back and they open it up on the way. One of them says, oh, I'll just get some food for the donkey. Opens it up and there's all the money that they've paid for the grain is back in their bags. Do you know what their reaction is? Ah! My money's been returned, it's here in the sack. And their hearts sank, trembling, they said to each other, what has God done to us? Their reaction is, we're guilty, God knows, oops. They're convinced that God is out to get them, that God is angry at them, that God is vindictive. But then they come back and and it's a little bit Genesis chapter 43. They eventually come back. They bring Benjamin, uh, Joseph's younger brother, uh, son of Rachel along. They come back and they find out that this head head honcho who they don't know is their brother is inviting them to a meal and they think, oh, he's inviting to us for a meal. That must mean he's really angry. They were messed up in their head. We're going to a meal so he must be going to kill us or something. I don't know. That's weird. But they, they're really frightened and they go to the, the servant of Joseph and they say, look, mate, 
just so you know, we found some money in our sacks last time. Here it is. Take it. And he looks at them and he says, have, have a listen to what he says. Uh, relax. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I received your payment. And then he releases their brother who'd been in jail and they're going to have a meal. You see, they'd been going there going, we are guilty. God must be out to get us. God must hate us because we are evil, because we have done all this horrible stuff in our lives. God must hate us. Satan's lies right there. And I'm willing to bet there's a few of you familiar with those lies. And the the household manager says, Mate, you got it completely wrong. God's not hating on you. God's blessing you. God's gracing you. Not because you deserve it, but simply God was doing this because he loves them and because Joseph is their brother. God's grace has a purpose. Uh, Jacob and his family didn't deserve to escape the famine throughout the land. They didn't deserve to be God's special, peculiar, you know, chosen people. They were a very flawed bunch. I mean, you started off with a spoiled brat, an unloving dad, a self-centered and self-righteous brothers. They didn't deserve to be the people through whom God would save us all, and yet they were because God wanted to show them that his grace was bigger than their messed upness. And they were living with the lie that because we are guilty, God hates us. That is a lie. If you've done the worst thing ever, God doesn't hate you. He still loves you and he still wants to grace you. In fact, Paul says in Romans that where sin increases, grace increases all the more because God doesn't hate us. That's why Jesus came, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. God loves us. God's grace doesn't mean that we'll necessarily be shielded from evil. But it does mean that, that even when what we do is meant for evil, God can turn it to good. And, and yes, God's timetable for good doesn't always operate on the same schedule as we do. Joseph had about 13 years in slavery and prison before being released to be head honcho after Pharaoh over Egypt. 22 years approximately since his brothers threw him into the pit before he saw them again. It's a long time. And sometimes grace is hard to accept because we have believed Satan's lie for so long that because of our guilt, God is angry at that. But, but the truth is that God loves us. God's grace operates in a broken world to save a broken world. And sometimes, sometimes grace shields us. Sometimes we are shielded from evil. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Even if God doesn't save us, We will not bow down to you. And in that instance, God saves them. But sometimes he doesn't. Grace doesn't always mean life will be easy, 
but it does mean that God will be with us. And just think about it. Grace didn't shield Jesus from the pain and darkness of this world. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, he was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. John chapter 1. Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or clung onto, but emptied himself, humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. Even to death on a cross he humbled himself. Joseph was jailed unjustly. Jesus was executed unjustly. Betrayed taking the form of a servant, dying. And yet enthroned, enthroned and ascended to the right hand of God because he loves us. I mean, the humans who executed Jesus intended it for evil. They intended to do away with him. But God intended it for good that we today might still look at him, bow to him and live. You see, the story of Joseph points us to the fact that if you expect grace to give you an easy life, you're in for disappointment. Grace isn't easy living. Grace is God with us through it. For the purpose of bringing us back to God. And who knows what effect our trials and troubles will have in God's plans and purposes. I know that some of the people who I have known who have died in their dying have blessed me. And have left a legacy, pointing people to the God of grace. I wish I could stand here and say that your life will be easy from this point on, that no evil will touch you, that only good things will happen to you, that, that everything will flourish that you touch, that you will have Midas hands. If someone tells you that, tell them it's dreaming. I can't do accents, I'm sorry. It's rubbish, it's not. But I can tell you that even when life is at its most difficult, God hasn't left you. And He never will. And when Satan tempts us to think that God wouldn't want to do anything with us, that we are too guilty, that God must be out to get us. You notice with the brothers there, they thought God was out to get them. 
something good had happened to them. That's how twisted we can go. Oh, something's good's happened to me. God must be angry with me. Let's not believe those lies. God loves us. And that, that's what grace is. God with us. God in our place. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. When we've been with him for a thousand years, you know, bright, shining like the sun, looking like Jesus, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Right now the earth will soon dissolve like snow and the sun will, will stop soon. Jesus will return. But God who has been with you here through the hard times and through the difficult times and the times when you've looked at life and said, why God or what are you doing God or this can't be right God or God you've obviously left me. God who has called you here below will lead you Safely home. Because grace is not an easy life. Grace is God's life with us. God, open our eyes to your presence. Lord, so often we we see the calamities in front of us and don't see your grace. But even what others or ourselves or Satan means for evil, you can turn to good. And we thank you for that. Amen. We're going to have morning tea at the back. Uh, If you'd like to uh, uh, grab some, uh, have a chat with each other, maybe tell each other, uh, you know, find a stranger. Here's your challenge for morning tea. Find a stranger and say to them, you know what, God loves you. It's a good conversation starter. God bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May you know his presence in your life. Amen. That's it? (laughs) Cancelled the song.